Hello, welcome to episode number 326 of the Apple Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins for your digital audio workstation. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening to your audio at all times. I'm using it right now. Click the link in the description for more information. If you want to support my work on a monthly basis, please go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. Go buy a t-shirt from apologue.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like and share on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SimonHead666. Now, I must warn you that my Instagram is mostly pictures of my bike. That's not code for penis. That's my bike, my bicycle. I have pictures of my bicycle on Instagram. What are you going to do? Fight me. So today on the show, I have uh, Jay Anderson from the band UU. UU is a band that got put together involving a very, very dear and old friend, Mr. Ian Blurton. Jay and Ian worked together uh, on a on a project and then decided to do this art thing with songs, with like with long, like awesome songs. And uh, it's a reflection of what the industry is these days. It, it doesn't matter. You just put your music out. People are going to listen to it. People are going to buy it and people are going to love it. And that is the magic of the music industry today. Uh, so thanks so much, Jay, for doing it. It was one of my, actually got to be, I'm going to say this and I'm going to go out on, on record by saying it's one of my favorite interviews that I've done on the show because it was just talking with someone who is like-minded and all good conversations are that way. I've had, I've had difficult conversations on the show with people and I've had great conversations and this is one of them. So here he is, Jay Anderson from the group UU on the Upload Podcast. So you're obviously you're the, you're a scene you're a scene guy from Toronto. Like when when did you kind of start in the the music scene? In Toronto? Well, I guess I started. Well, actually, I could probably like sum up the connection with Ian. I guess in the early, I can probably tie this all together. So when I was about sixteen, I had friends of mine who uh, were in a band by the name of Mower Queen, and. Um, being young, I was like getting into, you know, like I'm 16, it's like 94. So it's like alternative culture is big. There's all ages shows, like stuff's happening for people my age to go to shows, I guess. And that kind of scene, like not, but not being in a hardcore scene or punk scene, like kind of uh, adjacent to that. So they were getting a lot of shows with bands like Unsane and Velocity Girl and like, and they were like, you know, in high school. So it was kind of like a crazy thing to me and they had their own zine. So it just opened up this world. And uh, they actually ended up, there was a Rivoli uh, matinee show where they opened up for Change of Heart and I guess the Tummy Suckle era of that band. And I had never seen a band that sounded, like I had been to shows at Maple Leaf Gardens and like, like you know, this is a rock show, but I'd never been to a club show where a band brought that kind of 
intensity and and precision and ian's look at the time where he had that guitar where the the strings you never cut his strings and it was left-handed and it, it just looked like you know a medieval like you know uh instrument of death that he would like and they were just so tight like they were i was blown away at the musicianship with that lineup i was like wow that's what like practicing that's what practicing must sound like <laughs> so i just became a fan uh and then over the years there there's a fun I, I played in this one band and we played at club 279 this is like in around i'd say 2000 and maybe like i don't know no, 2002 and it was kind of a garage rock standing band and then he was at the show and i remember like mustering up enough courage to be like hey would you would you want to produce our band and he gave me the line which i haven't actually spoken to him about and i don't know if it was like a, a like a like kind of like oh you're being a punisher like get away from me kind of thing but he's like yeah look look up in the phone book this is my mom's name call use call that number so i didn't know if that was bullshit or if that's what how he people contacted him and i got completely like i went the other direction i'm like i'm not gonna do that that, <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a fuck off to me uh but then years later i play i so I ended up playing this band. I still do playing this band, Biblical. And then through that, like Nick Sewell and Ian had known each other because Ian had worked on a, like the Illuminati records. So we ended up starting to play shows with Come On. And so I got to be a bit more friendly with them then. And then, uh, yeah. And then we ended up playing with a friend of ours by the name of Kate Boothman. And uh, it was my first time that I got to play music with Ian. So like, I wasn't trying to, you know, 16 year old me is like, oh, this is incredible. But, you know, 40 year old me is like, oh, you know, just just be cool. This is OK. And uh, we just we 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 got along really like it was a fast connection because we just talked about records the whole that's it. Like it was just music, like not even just not how you make records, just like listening to music. And in that he uh, he kind of he had pitched this idea of an album that he was going to do with somebody else um and that should be the what should we we should focus on to be this group so we got together and uh, a friend of mine i got involved his name is jason haberman and i was doing some shows with this band twist and we would we did a run of shows with this band the wooden sky and i just met him briefly just at that time but you just sometimes you know you're like oh this guy's a chiller i think he'd be good for it didn't really know him super well so the three of us just all got in a room and jammed and then the yeah then the process was just like each step of the way we would do something like we would we we recorded two jam sessions cut it down they were like what do we do next and then ian and i had kind of talked about making like a horn heavy record like we're both big fans of this album uh by this british group by the name of t2 it's all going to work out in boomland like it's just an, this incredible record uh, like from the early 70s in england on Darum kind of is like in that i guess was considered 70s underground rock which could be proto metal it's like basically mm -hmm. like the stuff that's like post psych but pre-prog okay very heavy rock but there's a lot of horns on it and it doesn't sound corny kind of thing and, mm -hmm. uh, so we talked a lot about that and stuff like chicago and sunra and free jazz and james brown and just like that idea of like putting that kind of horn section so then we uh my friend jay hay uh who i play with in this soul tribute called the big sound he wrote the horn arrangements and him and Patrick McGrody and uh, Tom Richardson um, became the horn section for it. And then we didn't know what we were going to do about vocals. 
And uh, then I basically got my friends, Chris Cummings, who records under the name uh, Marker Starling, and Drew Smith, who records under the name Bunny. And I was like, you know what? If I give these songs to them, they'll know what to do with it. And then they came back with all the vocals, like, layered. And these guys are like, they're like Nilsson Newman. Like, they're just such good traditional pop songwriters. And, mm -hmm. and to them, it's like, there's, it's just, the lyrics and the harmony and it's just it's crazy like they come back and you get a fully formed beach boy like layered oh, amazing thing so it was just this project that kind of every step of the way we didn't know what it was until and it took like four years to finish because we just <laughs> we just everybody's busy and yeah. you know it, it was like a ouija board you had to like let the thing like pull it to the direction it wanted to go in. oh so, yeah 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 so anyway so i went off on a tangent but yeah no so no that's no, awesome yeah but yeah, I've been around. I I I've been playing in bands. I guess that people would have known since about like I guess two thousand and two, two thousand one. I was a bit of a late bloomer too. Like I I don't think I was. I started going to a lot of shows when I was sixteen, but I don't think my ability was up to where I could play shows. So I feel like I had to get that up. And uh, yeah, so then like, even like when I started playing shows at that point even when I was in my early twenties, there'd be people who were old, like, Oh, I didn't even know you played in a band. I thought you just were this, one of these kids who kind of tried to sneak into shows at the horseshoe and at the Rivoli and stuff. Like that. So, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, that's 20 years. Think about that. Eh? That's 20 years of, of, of playing in the scene. It's, it's crazy. I know. I, I still like, I'm not, and I don't even still think that I'm a, like a part of the, I don't know. Like the scene thing is really funny to me. I just, I still look at it as, I'm outside of it trying like just looking at it kind of thing well and that's a good way to be i mean that sounds like a nice positive way to be part of it because when people start getting too serious about themselves about the scene then oh, yeah. it really does kind of affect the overall morale of the scene <laughs> ironically well it's, it's true and and i think it's been interesting to see toronto kind of change i think in 2001 toronto became a different city in a good way than the fact that like oh you know, you could bump into somebody now and you bump into a friend like, oh, I've got a new record coming out on Sub Pop. And now that's like, there's no, you wouldn't even bat an eye, you'd be like, cool. Say that to someone in 1999 yeah. in Toronto, they'd look at you like you had like some type of like mystic powers or like, yeah. how did you... Yeah. There was definitely a glass ceiling in this city, yeah. I think. And they'd be and, jealous. They'd be hating you inside. Of course. Every and like, part of oh, it, yeah. Yeah, and there was like a handful of bands. I think I can count, like, maybe four that, like, you had, like, was Shadowy Men, uh, Danko Jones, The Deadly Snakes, and Do Make Say Think. And past that, those were the four bands that played, in, you know, but did stuff outside and were recognized on different labels in that kind of world. And that's all you really had. Of, and like those bands were kind of, in my mind, the ambassadors, I guess, of the scene. The yeah. the, you know? So. Well, yeah. And those are good representatives, you know, of the scene. Yeah. You know? And I would put Sloan in there somehow. Too. Sloan too. I, I 100%. And uh, it's just, I think, a bit different because Sloan obviously gets keeps getting bigger in Canada and they stay like a very kind of niche thing in the States. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's a different it's a totally different way of looking at it. And at the time, like you know, Sloan's on much music at the time when you have bands like Our Lady Peace and I Mother Earth. And yeah, it's, it's very out of step. It's kind of like 
this kind of wild thing like a band like that is doing as well as you know modern rock radio yeah. whatever you know no it's not my thing but no slight on it it's just to me it's amazing like a band of four todd rungrens like can <laughs> you know yeah. and write those type of songs and kids can like people who are young are hearing that type of songwriting it's kind of it's a really amazing thing like i saw I did one of those uh, dream serenade shows, the the Hayden thing that he puts on at, okay. at Massey Hall, and Sloan did a half hour set because the sets were really short, and it was incredible to watch a band play for a half hour, and it was all hits. Like yeah. there wasn't a song that nobody didn't know, and they sounded amazing. Like it was, it was like wow, this is this is incredible. Like yeah. I, like you forget, like wow, all of these tunes are. Like the whole audience knows all these songs. Yeah. Have that many, but that much radio presence in this country is pretty great. <laughs> well, yeah, true. You know, I think I think Sloma kind of outro when it came to that type of rock radio formatted stuff. I think they were always sort of on the cusp of like hating where they were when it came to that. Like, <laughs> do we have to play with like? I think there was this tour last was it last summer or the, even before this thing we did, um, where it was like them and tea party and i'm like and my yeah, I, my joke was do they get to share a tour bus because if they do <laughs> someone's got to take a camera on there and watch how they all interact with each other yeah i don't i mean you know bills need to get paid and <laughs> I under, and mortgages need to you know I, there's no slight on that and like to be honest i guarantee you that's a big percentage of their fan base also have tea party seat you know actually i would say let me scratch that probably most of like their fan base are from that era like are from yeah. a big shiny tunes wedge cfny era like there are other people who you know like might like more niche stuff and sloan is like sloan is an amazing gateway band that you get into and then discover yeah more stuff from yeah um you know yeah their sense of community to me felt very diy and very independent rock even though they were on Geffen for like an album, but I felt like, cause I worked for a couple of shows with them and I right. felt them to be very loyal to the people that worked with them. Oh and, yeah. And that's kind of like that. a rare, um, that's a rare talent or gift or um, understanding about how that works. You yeah. Know? And completely. I, you know, I work for Lois the low now and it's like, ah, ah, it's like a nice <laughs> warm blanket, right? Like, there's when a... you see a comfortable crew with their band, it's like everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to put on the show. Everybody doesn't mind going to the next town. Everybody yeah. enjoys it. Like, I don't understand why it has to be. Well, I understand, you know, people are difficult. So that's why things become difficult. And, yeah. you know, everybody's made differently. But when you just see, when you see comfort in a show, it's, it's amazing. Like you see comfort in a team, like everybody's just in a good mood. Because it makes the show run smoother. Everybody's yeah. happy. I don't know. You yeah. want it. You want it's a stressful touring is stressful. There's so much going on. Like what you always used to like blow my mind is when you're touring, you do all this for like 45 minutes to an hour <laughs> of actual work. 23 hours, yeah. It starts to really, you know, you're like, what whoa, this is crazy. And then imagine if you don't have a good because it's bound to happen. You play 30 shows in a row, you know, to you, not all of them are going to be Bangers, you know, glorious yeah. Yeah. or, you know, you're going to have an off night. And then you're like, oh my God, this one thing I was supposed to do, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't nail it, you know? Yeah. 
No, I, I definitely, like, I, years ago I worked as local crew at a Molson Amphitheater show, and Robert Smith was the band, like, it was his solo thing. Okay. Everybody in the crew was, like, the nicest British, like, oh, hello. Like, and I was thinking, <laughs> oh, they're all going to be droopy and sad. But no, they were, like, super friendly, positive, happy. Good. And, and I think it's a reflection of the band you work for is how the crew interact with the other crew or the local crew. Yeah, you know? for sure. And if they're sure. happy and satisfied, but then again, like if you're like, uh, I don't want to throw any examples, but if you're Matt no, Good, if you're Matt Good, and yeah. you're a fucking asshole, and then you want all these, you know, sorry, I said it. You don't listen. Have I mean, I, that's it's. Uh, I I I mean, I've heard. I don't know the man. I've heard <laughs> stories, but uh, you know. I do know in Vancouver they call him Matt, Matt Great. That's what I. That's maybe not good. anymore. Seeing the whole. <laughs> Seeing the whole Me Too action that happened on him a couple right, of years ago. Right, I guess that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. But or I mean, whatever. you work with their crew and they're really on edge. And they're like, ooh, you know, like, and it's yeah. like, come on, guys. Like, what's wrong? Like, it's just one guy. Like, but I have seen Matt Good tomahawk a guitar at a guitar tech. And, and see, that's horrible. Like, yeah. I, to me, I was actually talking with some friends the other day and it's like, I couldn't even imagine like berating somebody to the, and then you have to perform. Yeah. Like I to me, I wouldn't be able. Like if I was that mean to somebody, in my own brain, superstition, like something would karma would fuck up, fuck me up, <laughs> performance wise. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? Oh yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess these people, it doesn't like it doesn't affect them. But that's where I would be the whole time. I'm like, oh my god, I yelled at someone. I'm gonna flood this fill right now. Yeah, it's the u- universe telling me I fucked up. Yeah, so. we're in a weird time right now where the industry shrunk. There's yeah. only room for so many people. Sure. And and <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun, you know. I think it's gonna be an interesting couple of years going forward. Well, I mean, I think people just have to know that this is a like to get to do this. I mean, I'm not fully in that category, but if you get to do this and this is what you do, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, like if this pays your bills and you get to be creative and you have an audience of the thing that you want to do. And people are listening to it and they're there to support i mean i can understand how if this is if you've had this for a while you can lose sight of it but really when you break it down it's you know that's some in your bedroom 16 years old like fantasy yeah yeah it totally is and it's that's so if you get to do that i think you know maybe you should be grateful for it or i don't know maybe i'm not gonna tell anybody how to be i'm just saying for me that's where my head would be at but yeah Take stuff. Yeah. But yeah, but then if you, you know, if you for the past 25, 30 years you're you've been given adulation and you know, smoke has been blowing up your ass. And and I don't mean that as a slight. I mean you probably could lose sight of like, you know, like, you know, like my shit does stink. Like, you know, you're not gonna <laughs> think like that. Like you're just gonna be like, Yeah, there's nobody telling you know, so yeah. I I can't say it. I'm not in that position. Yeah. So I, I mean th- everybody has their bad days too. Oh, totally. But it's just yeah. but just take I guess it's the idea of like you know, I guess because sometimes in a band or this, it's like it's like it, you know, I'm an artist and I'm you know, and I have this artistic like yeah yeah. You know, I need need to vent in these ridiculous ways yeah. or whatever. But, I've had this conversation a hundred times on this this thing, but it's the fact that when you're in your twenties and you want to make it, you want to like be like huge and you want to be everybody love you musically, and that's why you got into rock and roll. 
uh, that goes away in your 30s and 40s. You start realizing, like, I love doing this. I really like doing this. And I'm willing to sort of, to a limit, sort of make sure that I can keep doing it. And I, yeah, a lot of the times, the bills aren't getting paid with rock and roll. No, no. Doesn't but I think, hurt. That, no, and I think not even music. I think when you're in your 20s, you're just trying to prove everything and be the, you know, like, yeah. you're just really trying to be everything is important and everything is everything you think you think is like the end of the, well, at least me, like everything is trivial and everything is, uh, and everything is like, Oh my God, the weight of the world. Uh. And then as you get older, you realize, well, I can't believe I'm worrying about, I can't believe this, the shit I used to like <laughs> think about and like keep me up at night. I it, like, it goes in one, like, it's just like, it's so gone. Yeah. And I think as the older you get, you just like, like, you know, it's, you know what? I want to be comfortable. I want to be happy. And you enjoy life more when you are that way. And I think you just, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think yes with music, but I, I'm pretty sure you can, I just think that's an, for me, I've noticed it's an age thing. I think. Yeah. Like, and the inner 20 year old is calling you like a, a like, like a beer leak. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. That's the one thing I fought against. I haven't, I haven't hit the beer league because I still try and do, but I understand. Yeah. Like you don't want to be a, I, I totally know what you mean by that, but. <laughs> that's a little i i think that would be a that's a harsh that's a harsh inner 20 year old i guess that's a very mean 20 year old well you know we are we're selfish pricks when we're 20 i mean we're trying you know, oh my god you know. oh my god like even yeah i, I think about ugh, it's horrible like just, yeah the level of selfishness is even yeah it's it's bad yeah <laughs> i have a i have a 19 year old and i have a 15 year old, oh, wow. 15 year old daughter about to turn 16 so wow. i think that we've sort of instilled this sort of ethic in our 19 year old that you know, he, it comes out like he wants to be an architect. It's like, oh, great. You know, uh, awesome. And he goes, yeah, I'm just going to leave, get out of college and make, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm like, dude, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. And I well, wish, like it, you know, I, I, I want him to say you're wrong. I'm like, okay, go, go, <laughs> go prove me wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the difference between parental guidance now than it was say when i was 20 something because my dad's like you're a fucking lunatic if you're gonna get in a van and travel all over north america that's stupid you're a homeless person yeah (laughs) i know i know it's always a funny thing trying to equate that i mean i i'm lucky my parents have been supportive in that yeah that that realm it took 10 years 10 years for my my parents to go oh i guess he's still just gonna keep doing it you know yeah it's it's, oh he he hasn't stopped this isn't oh yeah. This isn't like the tennis racket that's in the closet. Yeah, the <laughs> karate suit. And, yeah, yeah well, all that stuff is like, oh, you want to keep doing this? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Then they sort of like manage, like they manage their sort of expectations. And, you know, like, I mean, listen, I mean, my, I'm 52. I, I work in art still, you know, I, you know, be it, you know, through a theater, you know, but I still, I still work in art and I've always tried to keep art close to me because sure. that's, that's, that's important to me. But of there's course. a there's a time in life when you start realizing there's other people in the world and you gotta start like I gotta pay the bills. I gotta, you know, yeah. I gotta I gotta do the thing. And doing the thing is usually like that's where the divide line is, is where people are like, I'm gonna be in, I'm gonna get into banking because that's where the money's made. And then there's yeah. like the artists who kind of stick with it, kind of figure out how to stay close to the to the art. Yeah, I think I, I, I've, I've probably said this to people I know a bunch. The joke with me is just like it's like the movie Speed, like the bus is over fifty, whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't, like, I just can't go. I'll explode if I don't do this. Like, I like, I'm moving at this perpetually, this fast. 
and doing it that I couldn't, I can't not do it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the way I see it. You know, I, I, I really love it and I'm really addicted to the doing. That's kind of where I, I've been comfortable, I guess, with figuring out why I, I guess, love to play music. It's shows and, and, and albums are amazing and touring is amazing. But the, 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 the thing that I always get the most excited for is like, we're going to do this. Like we're going to get in a room and it's not for anything else but just to do it. And if anything else comes from that, then that's incredible. Like some of the best experiences I've had have been in a room not being recorded. Like that was just for me and the people in the room. Like some of the, the and like those are the things that make you want to do the next thing, I think. Like that, like, oh, we should this should be a band or we should play a show, we should make a record. Or like yeah. I find that 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 really that quick or that uh that initial idea the the initial spark of just doing thing is what i can't stop doing <laughs> yeah i re- i really love it it's like, tough really to explain do. that you've you actually you've eloquently explained that type of this is what being an artist is all about you make the art and if it's good art people yeah. gravitate to it and with that comes money so it's never yeah. like, it's never like the i'm going to ma- i'm going to like learn how to play music that's going to make people like me and I'm going to play this music and I'm going to market it a certain way. Like to me, that's sort of a nefarious way of trying to get in. And sure. And, and you can smell that in people like, you know, like we just, Hey, if we do a couple of podcasts, we're going to sell a hundred thousand <laughs> records. That's the way, we, you know, I've talked to people like that who, who truly feel that when they put a minimal amount of work in, they're going to get right. the maximum amount of payout. And but that- I mean, to, if they're, if they're honest with themselves, if that's how they see it, then I think like, I mean, it's not my thing. That's not the way I like, I think honesty is what it comes down to. If, if that person is going into it with the idea of I'm going into this to make money and be huge. And that's all I care about. Then I have to give that person credit for being like, okay, you have a focus in doing that. I think it's when you aren't honest with yourself, that's when it starts to come out. And that's when you start smelling like, okay, this is different like you know because i mean you, if you're ambitious and you want to make it like you have to think about all those things like even though yeah. it's like it's kind of gross or to some people they would find it gross you know like even even though like okay i remember like when the weekend launched his kind of thing and it was all this mysterious like i nonchalant i don't care like this mystery like there still takes a lot of work and effort to be like I don't care. Like, you know what I mean? Like even to get to that level of like, Oh, it's just like cool or like an, or or like an overnight thing. And it's not in your face. There still was a team where somebody had to work on to like get that presentation. So I just don't think, yeah, I think that, uh, honesty obviously is the best policy. And I said, I didn't mean to cut you off by saying like people who like think they need to do a podcast, but if those people are honest with themselves, I think that's okay. I don't know. Like, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what they want. Well, yeah. If you follow that, follow that trail though, and that conversation part of it is that if they don't get the maximum, their expectations completely filled, fulfilled, then they're out. Yeah, I and, can see that. And I call that that's almost like a natural selection in kind of weeding out the people who are in it for the right and wrong reasons. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, and. Listen, I mean, like I've met, you know, I, I really enjoy conversations with people who actually really do understand and get it. And it's sort of a silent handshake. It's like, 
it's like I get it. I know you mm-hmm. get it. So that's that's the type of conversations I like having with people because it's that balance between I got this thing I got to do. It's part of me, but I also mm-hmm. have a life, and the life feeds yeah. the art, and the art feeds the life, and whatever I do, whether it be painting, uh, something fulfills that that hole that stops me from being able to do the thing I want to do. And that's why I do a podcast. I do a podcast so I can talk to people like you who who kind of want to want to make art first. Yeah, I think making art and and you know, I, there's stuff with me that I mean, I've never liked the term like I've always found like I've never really said I'm a musician. I've had really iffy times with that because I guess when I grew up a musician was either someone who was technically proficient or used that as a word to be like it's like, well, you're a waiter and play music. You know what I mean? It would be more of like a thing to be like, that's their thing to make sure that the other thing they do is less important, I guess. So I like to say I play music because I never, I find, I don't know. I, I, that's just my own hangups with, with the word, I guess. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and obviously like a realization of being a Canadian musician in Canada <laughs> is like yeah i gotta have a side gig you know and we all have yeah, side, we all have side I mean, gigs you know what i mean of course, of course. and you know and 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 no one it's like a room there's only room for some such you know what i mean amount of people and in my opinion it's like just keep doing what you want to do it takes time people will gravitate to it if it's good and if it's not it's for you that's all that, that matters. And, that's, and that's like i think the first first and foremost it should be for you like that's that's why you do it it's you have you hear this thing in your head or this this thing you want to make and then you just do it. And sometimes the greatest, you know, like with this record, just finishing this record and getting it out is like, I feel like that, that was it. Like to me, like the fact that I'm doing an interview about this record is a bonus. Like, Mm -hmm. and the fact that, you know, like, I mean, like just getting that thing finished was so felt so good. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, right. And now we have to think about putting this out. Just like, but, to me, the completion is what felt the best. Like we just, yeah, we finished it. We made something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what was the process? So, so uh, did you when? How did you end up recording this? How did it all work out? Okay, yeah. So, sorry, I think I rambled. I'll maybe like break. Yeah. So, so what we did was we had when we got together, we did like two jam sessions, and then Ian, being like an incredible engineer and mix, like he we he, we would just cut parts like as. We would do stuff and then so we had had four songs like the shells of four songs with no vocals and then with that i i got my friend jay hay who i mentioned who i played with and then i sat down with him and kind of with each song i i gave like a very minor direction of like these are the horns i possibly hear i gave him like some suggestions but he's so well versed in soul music and in free jazz and just he's a wealth of knowledge and that stuff so i knew he would handle it properly and then tom richards and and patrick mcgrody who are guys i play as a horn section that's what i wanted as a sax trumpet and trombone they came in for one day like nailed it because they had like the the charts they and uh so then we had gotten that and then we sat on it for a while uh because we didn't know what we were going to do there was talks about like should this be an instrumental record and I kind of pushed back on that. And that's this is me because I, I, at that point, I had done a bunch of instrumental stuff. And I was like, I just don't want to do another, we jammed, here's a jam. It's jam. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I wanted it to have, I wanted them to be songs. 
And with the idea initially being that that we were supposed to have a vocalist and the idea of it was like kind of like a soft male pop vocal, I guess. That's where my head was at. And uh, I'm a big fan of this one album, uh, Manfred Mann's Chapter 3, which is, uh, I guess it's a part of like, after Do What Diddy, that era of Manfred Mann and Pre-Blinded by the Light, they put out these two records on Vertigo that don't sound anything like either of those, you know, pro like th those versions of the band. It's a very rhythm section and horn heavy thing. There's no guitar on those records. Uh, and I was just obsessed with, with these albums. I'm like, oh my God, to make a record like this, like that's my, that would be my dream, you know, mood board idea. So then, like I said, I had, we had been talking and, and me and Ian have been going back and forth, back and forth of what we should do. And then I just suggested my friend Chris Cummings and Drew Smith to Ian. And I was like, do you know these guys? He's like, I don't really, I don't think he did. He knew them. So that was even more exciting to be like, okay, like as a mid, watch this. Like I was mm -hmm. like, get ready for what they're going to send back. And they didn't disappoint. They put everything into it. And almost, I was talking to Drew about it. And when he heard Chris, like, he was like, it was almost like he had a friendly competition to be like, oh, if Chris is writing, then I got to write. I got to, I got to out Chris, Chris on these songs. And it just was amazing. And then it came back and we were like, wow, we have this. And then, yeah. And then we just like assembled it. And then Ian, you know, just, you know, when you have no clock in the room and he has his own studio, sorry, I should also say we did it at his pro gold studio. Yeah. Uh, so also working with someone who has a studio, you don't have to work. There's no, you're not paying for time. Like yeah. it's just where you're, you, you can do whatever you want. And we had done some overdubs in that time. And then it was just Ian, like, just, you know, in his world, like, just getting as sonic as he wanted to. And then when I got the record back to me, I, the best way I could say that this record sounds like, it's like, it sounds like 90, like, if in, if in England, like, a bunch of record collectors made a record. <laughs> it just kind of reminds me of that era of, like, let's do this and that. To me, so to me, the record comes across being a very british 90s thing i don't know if that makes any sense like not yeah. in a shoegaze or anything just that like a set like the, the idea that those records were very assembly made like we're going to sample this from here and this from here they and curated their their what they want to hear based on their aesthetic or exactly yeah. And, yeah. and all those kind of producers of that time whether you like the music or you don't i'm always interested in listening like i'm a massive portishead fan and i love jeff barrow and but even the like and like and uh was Adrian Nutley, but even the other like even if you take like I don't know, like the Chemical Brothers or just like those type of bands, you might not dig what they're doing, but if you talk if you just listen to the way they talk about records, not even like they're like, wow, these people really so they're like really just going through their collection and being like, let's stack, like let's take this and stack this and this and that. So, so there's like it's almost like there's no musical training. It's like you're being taught by your record collection, which is where I come like. I feel like that's how I learned was from my record collection. Like I didn't, I mean, I, I find listening to music is the best way to learn how to play music. And I don't know if everybody at heat, like that's, I don't know if anybody practices that so much, but I think you're going to learn so much from listening to music. I don't know. That's how I learned. I'm mm. not going to say that's for everybody, but yeah, no, I, I, that, that you're right. You know, like, cause in time of your life, you're learning kind of how to play like yeah. the instrument. And then once you learn the instrument, it's like, oh, now I need to learn the music, you know, yeah. and you're not worried about technically not knowing what to do. You're just, you're just trying to put 
what's in here onto into your hands. Yeah, you know? like yeah. I the Ramones never worried anything about being ta- like you know what I mean like tactical at all, and it's like some of the greatest. I mean, I love Yes as much as I love the Ramones in two different ways. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just it's just because it's honest. It's music and it's honest. It can be incredibly technical or it could be the most primitive thing on earth. Like, you listen to the Gorys early records and you're like, this is incredible. Like, because mm-hmm. that's their version of what they think, you know, rock and roll should be. Yeah. And that's not taking away from like a slit like a more slicker tighter band like i don't know like the pretty things or something who are doing another garage thing but at that point but it sounds equally as honest you know yeah yeah you hit on it there too because it's same thing with not just your ethic but it's like your musical you know your delivery and Mm -hmm. you can still sense when someone's trying to fake it to make it oh my god totally right you know it's, it's like this band looks great and yeah, like they have all the checks of everything else, but if it's just a facsimile of something I've seen before, you're just and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you see bands like that, you're like, "This is great." I'm like, "I'm just gonna go listen to this." Is just forcing me to be like, "Oh, I haven't listened to yeah. you know X album in a long time." Yeah, I'm gonna go re-listen to that because that's, yeah. that's really good, yeah. and it obviously influences band to do their thing. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a few like examples of that like i worked at a university for a while and this kid came out to me like with like um alexis on fire and he's right. playing this for me i go i said i know who this is have you ever heard of the refused he goes well right so i i said well no refused no alexis on fire as far as i'm concerned like you sure know, you know what i mean like this is sort of you know i played well they're the- they're taking their cues from something you know yep. they're, and, and they were a very young band when they started so yep. obviously you're going to be influenced you know it's yep. a very get a bunch of kids together what are your influences really quick and i guarantee you that first batch of songs are gonna sound like exact versions until you figure out yeah because like i've always said like when you know your sound is you shoot for the you shoot for the highest thing and i'm I'm paraphrasing an actual Mm -hmm. like saying i can't remember like you shoot for the moon and then you fail and you get the stars and then basically like you try and reach as high as you can you fail at it because you miss it but then you end up being your like, and where you fall is your sound, and that's like how it should be. I think. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry to say, like, yeah, like, so, so band like Alexis on fire. But I bet that kid heard a refuser record and was happy. I remember a coworker at HMV where I worked when I was in high school. I was listening to like June of Forty Four, Slint. I was really into that kind of, you know, that I guess would be math rock, post rock, uh, you know, Kentucky stuff, and. Somebody was listening to what I was listening to, and they're like, "Have you ever heard King Crimson's Red?" And I was like, "No," <laughs> and, but it was amazing because then I was like, "Holy shit!" Someone was making this music in 1973 yeah. or whatever. I thought yeah. this was this new thing that some new band. Just yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. My and, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. My my daughter no, no, no. does the same thing. Like she plays stuff on 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 my on my Spotify, and I'm like, "This sounds like," and then we play it, and it's never like. No, it isn't. I'm like, it totally is. Like, but it's right. she's trying to sort of say, no, 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 I'm my own person. I can, and that's the that's the that's the beauty of young being young. Well, yeah, you want it to be your own thing. You it's don't your want own it to thing. Be your, you don't want it to. Be, although, like, you know, some people's parents have really great music and record collections. In the end, like, when you're at a certain age, you want your music to be. You want your thing to be your thing. Yeah. Like badly. Yes. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like 
Yeah. You're searching for that in the, like you're like I'm gonna hold on to this and squeeze it to death because it's mine. Yeah, you know? I remember that being with the, when I well I I used to play in a band with Jason Tate who's in the Weaker Thans, and oh when, yeah okay. And when they first put the first Weaker Thans record out, I was like they 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 stayed in my apartment when they were mixing Fallow, so okay. I was like this is my band. And then when I saw them at like a Shanghai club and to like oh yeah I two, twenty people, yeah. you know what I mean. You know, I actually saw I saw Jimmy Eat World in the Shanghai too with Promise saw, Ring saw, and Great. Wow, I saw Godspeed You Black Emperor yeah. in Club Shanghai. Where they couldn't fit on this it was insane. They yeah. couldn't fit on the stage. <laughs> so cut to like three years later and then they're selling out Lee's Palace. I was like, Oh, it's over. It's over. I, I, again, I think people who have that I mean, obviously with youth and like when you're in a scene and it's your scene and like I understand I think in punk and hardcore there's a bit of more of there's a there's a the vibe of like this is what you do this is what you don't do obviously if you read stuff like gilman street like you can totally tell there's like a way you do things and a way you don't things and if you do things this way then you're going against the whole idea but i really feel it and this is like an all music like do you think that that band who made that record wanted to only have 10 people like <laughs> listen to it oh like, yeah i'm not i'm not claiming to be correct no this. no i'm, completely I'm just wrong. saying like like that's the thing it's like obviously these people like listen i heard someone say even bad art takes a lot of work like you know what i mean <laughs> it's a lot of work making stuff it's a lot of effort and yeah. it's a lot of time like you're hoping that as many people on like all those like kind of rare bands who get reissued they're not listening to other rarer bands in different markets. No. They're trying to be the biggest. They're trying to emulate whatever is the big band going at that time or what's on the charts. So they're making these records, hoping that they're going to be like that. And they don't sound like that. Then they sound interesting and weird. But at the time, there was no market for it. So then it gets buried and then it gets rediscovered. But I guarantee you those bands wanted hundreds of thousands of people to hear the record. And that whole thing of like, I can understand what it's like. There were bands like that that I discovered, and I thought, like, this is my band. And if that other person, like, I remember, like, loving Stereo Lab so much. And then, no slight, but these, like, fishhead hippies who I knew got into, like, Tortoise and that stuff. And that really bothered me. And I would see them at the, like, I'd be like, no, like, you guys can't like this. Like, it's what a ridiculous mindset to oh, be yeah. in. But that's how I was. Now, I, like, you know, but, but then you think about it, it's like, no, you, as many people should be listening to this. And if yeah. people are enjoying it, like, then that, like, what, like, why would you, like, why would you be mad at that? Like, I mean, it's yeah. so crazy. It's such a nineties approach to things. Cause there was like, uh, this thing I'm working on, it's like a whole side piece on just, it's called, don't call me a sellout. Cause okay. it was like, if you ever put your song on a TV ad or, you know, Lois and Lower offered one hundred and seventy thousand dollars to have one of their songs, like, like, like in the like at that time. Yeah, period. yeah and they yeah, said yeah. no. They said we're not doing it. And like today, oh my god, it'd be like, give me all that free cigarette oh money, give me all god. that money, money, money. And it, it seems like it doesn't really matter anymore. And I don't think no. it's a bad thing. It's just, but people gotta live. But in the nineties, it was so taboo. It was, it was career suicide to do. Oh, I know, like I know, and and you know, th I think the thing is, people forget that, like. I, the thing too is like when you really look at it there's bands who are living hand to mouth and you know i'm too young to know this but i've read enough stories that like you're living hand to mouth and now you have an expense account of like half a million dollars like mm. it's just like you go from zero to a kajillion and then that's gonna also be can be taken away from you just as fast like so you have all this money you know floating around and 
numbers are just numbers and yeah like if you take an ad then you're it's like you're selling out to and it's like who that mindset if you were to tell somebody young per they would probably think you're fucking insane yeah like you actually thought like that <laughs> like wait <laughs> you don't want to eat <laughs> yeah you don't, want, you don't have to worry about bills it's like i mean i remember when i was younger someone said listen not everybody can be fugazi so at that point you just have to realize that you know you not everybody can have like one band can occupy that space of being like we can play to two thousand kids and only charge five dollars and make it all ages that's amazing that business model doesn't unfortunately can't work for everybody so it's like yeah know, and it's like, yep. with what you said there, not everybody can be Fugazi. There's a sense of elitism right there anyways. That says, well, it's... <laughs> it's, like, looking back, it's so funny, too, because I, like, obviously, a lot of people in this time, in this pandemic, I really went on deep dives on YouTube, especially from, like, these periods of my life where I haven't really, like, you know, just stuff I was into. And just looking, like, no slight, but, like, just looking back to that kind of, like, that mentality, I'm like, wow, like... Yeah, it's nuts to me. <laughs> that, yeah. It's so crazy. And it happened in it happened like in the middle of my career, like when. Right. So you were playing at that time when this was happening. Yeah. So when okay. whenever whenever the shift happened, when the music business broke, like in two thousand and one, like right, it it really did like change people's direction. Like I spoke with Erin, who owns half of Fat Records, and she was saying we almost closed our doors in right. 2001 and you think about that the legacy of that label throughout the 90s you think you'd have like a, a a fucking pile of money to sit on to sort of wait for the thing to pass or well they're but they're an american record label yeah. it doesn't work this like i think that's the difference in the states it's like you you know that's the state i mean i don't want to sound like i don't know what i'm talking about because i don't fully but when you're an american record label and i don't mean that canadian record labels don't have it, but that's real money like mm. you know if you like Putting out an album by an artist is that's you know seventy, eighty thousand dollars of there's there's no grant that comes in. You know what I mean? There's mm. no like it's real investment. It's real I have to put this money into this. You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm talking out of pocket. Oh, no, <laughs> no, but I know the difference between like an independent record label at that records level and even an epitaph are two completely different yeah. um um uh, what am I trying to say? Uh I can't remember the, I don't know the word but but if you if you think about like Sony Records yeah they can't turn that Titanic around fast enough you know no. but um but when 2001 hit everybody was in the same thing because everybody was losing money the the, mm -hmm. the smaller labels could basically sort of pivot faster to make sure that what they were doing was putting like and they had like a they had a follow follower like a like a they, people followed them and they well of, you had you had brand based loyalty like you had labels yeah. that like doesn't well because you're because a label back then you're you're it's almost like a curation thing if you like a label you're hoping that everything that they put out is awesome it's going to be yeah. what you like and like like discovering like with sampling in hip-hop you look at the back of the record to find out who played drums because it's like that kind of like secret you know like secret way of discovering music where there's you know pre-computers or whatever but the same thing was like i love this label i want to buy everything on this label like i was the same way and then you hit something that either you don't like or you didn't get at the time and then sometimes you go back like oh that was way more advanced than like <laughs> they put this interesting thing out yeah you know but yeah i, I sorry I, I see what you mean by uh 
Yeah, like it's a taste thing. Like you're yeah. buying, yeah, they have brand loyalty. And the, and the irony in all of this is after 2001 forward is like the dawn of streaming. And, you know, we the conversation of streaming has always been this sort of top of, or like polarizing conversation. But but labels made more money with streaming now than mm-hmm. than anybody because they sold all their catalogs, pennies on the dollar, and, oh, yeah. and still captured all the all the royalties, you know. Yeah. So, so they're making way more money, and they don't need to make CDs and records anymore. So it's like, it's no. like hey, you know, win-win. Or rock videos, by the way. Like, those things have all... Everything is sort of... But but funny know. enough, though, you, you think that, but you still need a visual when releasing a record. Like, it's still... It's going to be way... You're going to get more eyes on it. I know yeah. people think, oh, music videos or whatever, but when you don't have a visualizer or something visual to your single it's a difference like like yeah. you're gonna get more eyeballs on it because there's a moving there's an uh, there's another set of art that was made to go with this set of art i think the idea of just like a music video on music television is just yeah okay that's like a thing that just does not exist anymore but you know youtube is still a thing and there's some bands who have been able if they're smart enough like that become like example like look at a band like red fang it's the opposite like they're almost like people get excited for what their next video is going to be because they did the opposite thing. Like we're going to make the video, the thing that we push because it's going to be some type of comic, yeah. you know, like them, like his key, like, cause they have this like Keystone cop character, like, well, the band's in another like wacky situation, but it's worked for them on top of it, building their fan base. So, yeah. Like, you, you know, and you, you kind of hit something there too, because when, when artists became artists in the modern times, they learned to wear many, many hats. So therefore mm-hmm. they were their own marketing person. They were their own stylist. They were their yeah. own, they did everything themselves. And, and, and I think that's awesome. But yeah, but, I, there's, there's still artists who do that. Yeah. Too, by the but way, there's, you know? there's a thing, there's a thing. And I spoke with a guy named Cam Carpenter. He used to run, work for MC, MCA records. And he told me the other side of it. He goes, well, you know, when MCA records had a staff of 50 people and they were working a record, there was a person who knew radio. There was a person mm-hmm. that knew what you should look like. There is a person that knows how you should conduct your interviews. There was this team of people that worked, um, you know, not sometimes, not always sort of diligently on the, that's what broke the system is like, right. They hired too, they had too many shitty bands come through and then, then the people in the industry, "Ah, but then the industry shifted and now everybody sort of wears many, many hats, Mm -hmm. which I think is awesome. But I think the only thing that really sort of suffers in that is the true artist in many cases, because a true artist doesn't need to know how to have a conversation. The true artist doesn't need to know no, how to market. No, they have market. to make the, yeah. to make the art. Yeah. Like, so know, it's so. tough for that person to really catch a break when major labels kind of pick that up. They give you seven records. And it was a shitty deal, but at least they gave you seven chances to... Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing, too, is like I think there was a shift that happened in the 90s. Like, in the 70s, yeah, you had at least three records to get to a point... Like, it was almost like the labels knew like in your first record, you weren't going to do like, you're going to find your, it's still be good, but they're like, they don't, they didn't give up on you because you just didn't pop. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like I, the idea of that, it still kind of boggles my mind. Like you have to get to a point where you get famous. It's like, I don't even like, that's a horrible way of looking at it. It should, mm-hmm. it should be just like, I want to put out a record. Like mm-hmm. I understand money's invested and people want to recoup. But like the thing about like when I started hearing that independent labels were dropping artists, I was like, 
what the fuck? Like, like that goes against the whole ethos of what an independent label is. An independent label is like you just you believe in this artist and you put their stuff out. They give you the product and then you put it out. Like it's yeah. just there's no. But I think things changed and and you know when smaller labels become as big as bigger labels, like like you said, someone like Epitaph or Four AD, like these very independently owned labels are, but they're million multi million dollar label, like millions of dollars are coming yeah. into that label you know like those type of labels and you have a couple of those that they're like oh yeah it is an independent label but they don't run like an independent no. label like yeah. they have you know like astronomical budgets if they're gonna push a record you know yeah there is another awesome model i don't know if it still works it's like an independent label distributed through a major and i, I don't even know if this still happens no, but that was the big 90s thing. Yeah. But that's what killed half of those labels, though. Like, yeah. a lot of those labels either died or took them forever to get at it because the deal sucked. Like, yeah. I mean, like, Matador, every cool label tried. A couple of them didn't do it. But I remember Matador tried it twice with, like, Capital and Atlantic, and both those deals were horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was a thing. But everybody always talked about, like, you know, it, was a, it could be a kiss of death. You know? Well, yeah. I think, too, though, if you're dealing with a band that starts their own record label... Like Los Alo have Yes Boy Records, which got signed to AM Records. They're making six bucks a CD. Right. And and if you were on AM Records, you get a buck a CD. You know, okay. so you think of the amount of money that is like capable if you but then again you're on the hook to do your own marketing. You have to make sure that everything, you know, you're running like a label, but you're yeah. kinda of like a boutique just to make sure the band has got all the proper distribution. And that was sort of like, oh well, all we're using the labels for is to make sure our records end up in the record store. Which was which was important back then. Like now, you know what I mean. Like you yeah. needed those channels to get across. Like there's no, there's no streaming. You know, not to sound, but that's it. Like you needed somebody who had, who could distribute your record, and like places that size could do it. Now whether they push it yeah. on sales is like a completely different story. Yeah. So yeah, you know, because yeah. I remember working at HMV at that time, and then you know you get the sheets and you get the one sheets, and it's just the one sheet, and if you didn't have the guy. Or the person, the person explaining to you what the what it was, you would just, or you didn't know what it was. Like you could read everything about it. You could read the bio. You could read like what it's being, but you just would turn the page, and it's like <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ordering that because I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, wow. Like I remember those books. They, like sometimes you would get like the universal ones, and they were like a phone book for the month because they distributed so many labels. Yeah, you're like, how can I even get through this thing? Like I don't even have like. The store doesn't even have enough budget to order like everything yeah. in here, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then there was like this whole idea of like, well, just send it back if you don't sell it. And then that's where things kind of and I think that's sort of like that's sort of the the ending of the of that type of industry. Is that people just started throwing things against the wall and the last thing that would stay up there would be the thing they throw all their money behind. And 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 the fact is is that, you know, you remember that whole number band thing, you know what I mean? Like I worked for one of them, you know what I mean? But What's the sorry? What's the number band? With like some forty one, Blink one eighty two. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, some yeah. What was the other one? Um, uh, SR seventy one, which changed their names to a number band. <laughs> oh, so they thought like no, a number band would be a marketable. That'd be the way to go. Yeah, that's the okay. way to go. And they all kind of played the same music, and then all of a sudden it was like one 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 band one, and the other ones kind of went sort of disappeared into the into the darkness. Well, I think the thing too is it's like you like any band that's gonna trace chase a trend is like you're gonna lose that race every time. Like you oh, can't yeah. work that fast. Like nope. I mean, like the thing too is like when a band or an artist does something 
that there's that actually becomes a shift in the way people think they didn't make that stuff thinking and at least the way i see it like a band like nirvana or the strokes or mac demarco or three examples i could tell you of like every 10 years a new sound comes where it like it influences kids like it actually is going to be a shift i don't think those bands really thought about like we're going to come up with this sound that is going to force everybody to no they're just like we wrote some cool shit we think it sounds awesome yeah here's our shit you know what i mean to me so like if you're gonna have to like nobody goes into that with that mindset and if you're going into it with that mindset kind of what we were talking about earlier then you will lose every time like you cannot like you can't win it's 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 impossible like the numbers are against you so just like try and be yourself try and make something like if you want to make something or see it's the same thing with movies and tv it's like the, the one thing that would blow, like, you know, it's so annoying when you hear that, like, it's like this meets that mixed with this. It's like, why do I want to see something that's been, like, you've just mentioned every three hot trend and that's what this show is. Yeah. Or that's what this movie is. Or that's what this music is. I guarantee you those things didn't go into that mindset of like, it's just like, let's just make this because we think it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, there's yeah. no, I don't think there's like a formula of like, you know, it's like Big Brother meets curb your enthusiasm with a splash of the sopranos or whatever yeah. like, i don't know yeah. like, i mean i said i said three very dated references that's there. pretty awesome though there yeah, are i like know, two of those things <laughs> well, that's what i mean it's like obviously stuff that like change how you think but i think like you said like like you're not you can't win it's impossible yeah. you just you can't yeah i mean that the term of like we're gonna try to make this go viral that's like well that's an oxymoron those words don't you go can. together that's not, that's yeah, a word that's the whole the, the whole point of it going viral was because it just it did. It, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Just, it was like this thing exploded. And yeah, like, uh, wasn't expecting that yeah. to happen. I think uh, I think I've, I've said this before. I'll probably sound like a broken record, but when when you try, what well, what makes a successful hit record or band or group or 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 art thing is that people need to think like you. If they don't think like you, they're not going to get it. And if they yeah. think like you, if there's a certain amount of them, say fifty thousand of them, mm-hmm. then you have a very good chance of of making it successful yeah you can't try to change like the people's minds or people's you know like if people start thinking and you can come in way too early and be way too ahead of the curve and then people are like oh like big star or something well, you know what there's I mean? a 90 percent of the bands i love i think that's the problem it was just was like wrong time you know, they were they were the first ones through the door and yeah. you know that's saying like usually you don't get the credit and unfortunately you know like you you know, I think that's what ends up happening is, you know, those type of artists don't get to cash in on what they did. It's either they passed away or yeah, they're just not around for the credit or like they don't they don't do music anymore or they, you know, even on like a smaller like it's 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 really it's heartwarming when you see artists like Beverly Glenn Copeland or Rodriguez or yeah. you know, any of these people who get to actually live their reissue campaign because it doesn't happen for most artists who get to that kind of you know like someone like arthur russell who i love never got to see the impact of the music he made and it's so widespread like it has infected almost every like any young like it's just his music is obviously it's just another you know it's just it's made by someone who's just not it's not even a human who could come up with this i i also have this thing too that those type of artists that's ridiculous like they can't live in the human form long enough like they're just mm. the art and the stuff that i know it sounds wacky but they like someone like prince or like 
they just they just have so much in them that the human form it's too much like they're so advanced that they have to like after the life they have they have to experience what the after is because they'll just become like a sunbeam or something and mm. that's like way more <laughs> yeah. it's probably way more gratifying sense it sounds so hippy dippy but i just think like that, that that's the thing like those type of artists you know they don't get to see that so when when you get to see artists who are like they didn't have it or it just didn't happen or it wasn't and you see the influence and they get to see that it's incredible uh, it's amazing when in the, you get to watch them go through that it, it's an amazing thing because it's very rare it's very rare to see that so. yeah like a guy like ron sexsmith or something you know it's like the guy's been making records and making art for 35 years and you know obviously has singles with other people playing it mm -hmm. but to get i don't know if he's fully real been realized as being like how well, much of a trend I mean, am i wrong I okay i someone like ron sexsmith i would maybe say is it, i mean okay like does ron sexsmith is he mentioned in the same cat like in the same sentence as a mccartney or like you know like that yeah. like brian wilson no that's not a slight but there's a lot of people are but does Ron Sexsmith have a career where he can go and play to 3,000 people a night in a major city or 2,000 people? He has that. Mm. And he has his fan base. If I mean, I, I guess it depends, like, what you consider. Like, to me, I would look at that as a success. Like, yeah. You have a career. You're able to do this. You're you're respected by every songwriter, like, of, that you, you that you looked up to. If Ron Sexsmith wants a hit, and Ron's if Ron Sexsmith wants to be in that category, then yes, then maybe it is a failure to like the way they see it. But I would say that to get that much in your career and you're still doing it, mm. and you still have people who love your music, I would consider that a win. Personally, I'm not trying to take away like I'm not Ron Sexsmith. I don't know what he goes through <laughs> on a daily basis. And the torment that every artist has like when they're doing stuff and i understand that but back to the original point where we could talk like that to me would be the win is that like you can you know that's, no, i'll take that I, I, would say, yeah. I don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong but. no no i i i agree with you i just think when it comes to like say obviously there's not enough room for the rolling stones just the rolling stones it could be the rolling stones or the beatles right. you know but i'm talking about like actual household name like kind of like that type of I feel, right. you know, based on what an artist like, say, Ron Sexsmith has put into his art, that sure, there, I feel like maybe that's maybe there should be more, you know. I think everybody, I think everybody who makes that there should be more. I think everybody should be like, and I don't mean to sound like, but I think everybody should be. I think every, you know, okay, you know, there's that great scene. There's that scene in that movie, The Wrestler, with Mickey Rourke. I don't know if you've seen it, and and he's in the deli. And he's back, but he like kind of like he's about to start his shift in the deli and he's about to go out. But he hears like so he go he has this flashback in the audio. It's like he hears the crowd is like when he's going to come through the curtain. But it's just like he's back to being a wrestler, but he's working the deli. Mm -hmm. And it's just because he's still a legend in his own mind. He's still able to get into it. And I think like that's what every artist on a, a small level. Those are the kind of things that are the win. Like. I remember playing the cool house the first time. And I will tell you, the, you know what the best part of the show was for me? Being led to the stage with a light yeah. backstage. Yeah. And get, like to me, I was like, holy moly, this is like, 
this is the biggest check I've ever had in my, like, nobody knows what I'm going to, like, nobody knows the, like, whatever, like, just the fact that somebody had a light and they, like, walked me down an aisle and then they opened the curtain and then I went on stage. I was like, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that was enough for me yeah. to be like, I yeah. think, you know, so I guess this is all how you look at it and try. And I think like you have to stay positive and it's anyways, I could talk, we could talk forever. You're totally, you know, you're right. You're totally right. That positivity is obviously something because you have to understand where we, where do we fit in all of this? You know what I mean? Like yeah. how, how, how where's, what's my place? Like, what's your place? What's, what's, what's a musician? What, what is, what is this type of art and where, what place should it deserve? And then sort of like, you know, sometimes the inner jadedness of me goes like, yeah, it should, you know, like what we were just talking about, you know? And then mm. you're right. You're absolutely right. There should be like, you should have your, your expectations. And if your expectations are even not even quite met, they're still there. It's halfway there. Yeah. That's yeah. important because sure. what does kill art is the, is, is jadedness and, and not, and not, sort of letting letting the muse speak so to speak yeah and like and it's a thing like i understand people get into that mindset like i made it so i can destroy it nobody can tell me what to do because it's mine yeah and, and also like yeah i'm not like you know try you, you do this you're going to be in this like at least me like you wake up days and you're like what am i doing why am i doing this who gives a shit does anybody care you know obviously you go through that mm -hmm. but i think you have to just like know that you have your days and you know like the way i see it is like Am I going crazy? Like, what? <laughs> but then you're like, no, you know what? I get to do this and I'm doing it. And that's what's important. Yeah. I think anybody who does anything that they really love, you know, always has to question it. I don't, I mean, like, you don't want to be like riddled with self doubt, you know, but mm. I think everybody goes through that, like, oh my God, what am I doing? Is this good? Does anybody like this? Why am I doing this? Oh my God, this sucks. I don't, uh, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think, you just you end up doing it and you make it and you end up uh you i think like you work through it and then you're like oh no this is good and that's the greatest part is that after you you step back and then you go back to it and you're like no this was cool yeah. <laughs> yeah this was really good yeah i was right yeah yeah so it was you that was wrong yeah I, yeah so the the you have one song on spotify or is it I yeah just sorry yeah one song on spotify and then we'll probably release um another single or another tune i think probably in september and then the album's out october 21st okay so cool hopefully we'd like to play a show but that seems to be <laughs> that'll be a whole other thing we'll have to figure out mm -hmm. at the time but again it was a studio kind of project studio band so um but that's yeah we are busy bodies is putting it out on october 21st yeah. and it's on it's on all the streaming services as they say so yeah a lot of seven four in there that's what i did I... there's a lot of seven four in there yeah and the next song is the next song we're putting out is 13 minutes so i think we're gonna try you know so you can't call it a single it's like five it's, singles it's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly there's a b it's like i'm a massive prog fan so i'm living yeah i got a seven I, we have one tune in seven four and a 13 minute song again like two bucket list things i can cross off you know my yeah list. yeah yeah, the, wanting to be, you know, wanting to be in Genesis. Yeah, the, the only the only time I ever put things in seven four is because I want to get there faster. <laughs> <laughs> but if you seven four is a good time signature that you, uh, it's one of those weird ones that you come up with and you don't realize that it's seven. It's four. happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Like you're, yeah. Because it's got a weird like. Uh, 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 yeah, whatever, my favorite thing to do once I when I did a song was keep the drums in four four and everybody else does seven four. So you do, yeah, you, I mean, you know, you do three reps and I think you end up coming back on the one again. You know what I mean? So that, it was early. That, yeah. 
Now we're getting into math. Oh yeah, I you know I'm like I grew up playing bass, learning like hemispheres by Rush and stuff. So I'm, oh, okay, so you come from that school. I come from that I, school. Fragile is one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, so I mean, we could talk about. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, Chris Squire is one of my favorite yeah. musicians. Did like, you when he got in? They got inducted to the Rock and Roll. I, wa- I watched. I like watching Getty Lee play. Yeah, Roundabout was even just the fact that like I could tell how much that would be. Like that's like I said, like like that's a in your bedroom, you know, yeah. mimicking like air guitaring, like you know you, that 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 moment was pretty incredible. I was yeah. really into that, and uh, yeah, I mean th- that you know that 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 band is is Chris Squire's Fish Out of Water record. I think is the best Yes mm-hmm. record ever made. I think that's it's just there's something there's something funky about them that they don't get credit for being funky and i hate using that word but i feel like the the, the pocket is really deep with that band like oh, yeah. as good as as good as like slime the family stone or any of those groups but yeah, that's yeah. for another that's for another time oh we could talk about yeah yeah no, <laughs> bill bruford is like one of my favorite drummers because he just Incredibly. is so musical um i saw yes what was the record that came out after 90210 um it had a was it a number oh you eight one two i think it was Oh, you ate one. Yeah. Oh, you ate one. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, I, I saw, I think I saw, yeah, I saw them at Maple Leaf Gardens on that tour. Sure. And there was sure. this great moment I saw, and I remember it, but like the, where um, um, tambourine was thrown in the air, and I could hear it for some reason. I'm like, is there a mic in there? Like, how did that work out? You know, it was like 15 or 16 at the time. I was like, right. Dumbfounded me on how, how, how can I hear that when it's not in his hand anymore? <laughs> right because because you realize that they're the loudest instrument and you don't need a microphone yeah. like, that 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 a tambourine can fill maple leaf garden yeah yeah with no, with no that's a pretty that's that would blow my mind too yeah know? yeah even now but yeah. uh well man i uh, i really enjoyed talking to you it's like yeah this is fun i mean i could honestly as you can i can talk forever about anything so i appreciate but yes thank you so much for asking yeah so the uu album will be out it's self-titled we are busy bodies october 21st just get that in <laughs> cool and come back like come back in i would October. love to yeah. anytime yeah anytime you have me on i, I really had a good time okay brother really fun talking yeah thanks all man. right have a good one yeah you too okay bye bye that was mr j anderson from uu check out the video that's coming out called scattered ashes all the links will be in the description so you can check it out their safe self-titled albums out on october 21st and uh, you can find them everywhere, I will imagine. I don't think they'll just be in like one record store. But, but who knows? It could be. Maybe that one record store will be the only place you can get the one record. They're releasing one record. That's <laughs> fake news. They're releasing one record in one record store. And uh, that's it. You're just going to have to get that record. And then you'll have to tape it for your friends. Oh, it's been a long day. Anyways, so everybody, thanks so much for listening to your show. I really appreciate it. This is episode number three, which is 26. I didn't think I'd get through 26 episodes, and here we are over 325 episodes now. Get it? See what I did there? Um, yeah, Jay, thanks so much for doing the episode. I, it's, it was, um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm still, I still think it was one of the one of the most fun interviews that I have done because it's someone who who gets the fact that. Art and, art and money don't get along. It seems to be a theme that I've been following, chasing for the past 40 years. <laughs> um, yeah. So next week, I got an episode already lined up. Okay, so I'm sorry I took so long to put out an episode. I've just been 
going gangbusters with this documentary. I'm trying to get through the third act right now. I'm trying to get a rough cut together so people can uh, listen, watch it, watch it, so people can watch it. And I'm also trying to get it put into some sort of festival circuit. That's 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 the update on the lowest of the low documentary front. So yeah, next week got a good one. Got Pete from the band The Sweet Kill and uh, one man band. Is that really a band if it's one person? One man band? I know there's one man shows. Okay, we're going to go with that. Everybody, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week.